So how's it going there? It's uh, we haven't talked in a few weeks, so let's let's do a little bit of a, a catch up first. I was in New York City myself, uh, I guess two weekends ago. Wait, I'm not allowed to say I'm doing great, Paul. <laughs> yes, well, I'm. I, you're always doing great. I, I would take that for. Uh, I, I assume that's always the case, unless otherwise. But I'm, I'm going to talk. Anyway, uh, tell me about New yeah, York. I'm, I'm going to talk about myself here because we're tired of talking about you. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I was in New York myself, um, two weeks ago with my wife, we, uh, took off for a weekend, well, I guess about four days to experience autumn in New York. And it was a fantastic, awesome trip. Loved every second of it. Have you... Every second? Like there wasn't anything that went wrong? No, it was awesome. Weird? It was awesome. But I don't think there was anything that went wrong. Well, you are going to share a, a little story that I think indicates that maybe something was a bit off. Yeah. Well, you know, some adventures here and there, which is always good. A, a, a good vacation is when you always got a couple of funny stories to tell. Of course. And that's when stories like that gener generally happen is on vacations. And Absolutely. Like yeah. The highlight, though, I got to say Billy Joel in concert at Madison Square Garden. Absolutely phenomenal. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That was kind of the main reason you went down there. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that that's that's why that was our motivation for going. Uh, my wife sort of booked this trip. That was the reason why uh, was because you know a Billy Joel concert was truly sort of a, a quote unquote a bucket list experience that she wanted to uh, to to do in New York or just in general. Well, in in general, but specifically at. Madison Square Garden, because that's sort of his his home turf, I suppose. Um, yeah, Long Island guy. Yeah, yeah, and and to yeah experience Madison Square Garden, which is is one of the most famous, you know, sports and concert venues, certainly in the U.S., maybe if not in in the world. Um, he certainly didn't disappoint, that's for sure. It, it was uh, he worked his ass off out there. It was a two and a half hour concert, which you don't see very much these days. You know, most no. most acts are pretty much done within you know hour and a half to two hours. I saw Billy Joel and Elton John together in Toronto about twelve years ago. Oh, the, and the dueling pianos. I think it was the name of the concert. Was it called that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Either so they, way, they yeah. were pretty good, but uh, I did see, think that they were kind of running out of steam a bit in terms of their, their quality. Um, and, and of course, it was two of them, whereas you saw just Billy Joel by himself. So maybe he more rose to the occasion. Yeah, like you wonder if, if you have two sort of headline big stars that are performing, you wonder if that does change the dynamics of the concert, whether or not... Um, you know, if they have to kind of like share the stage, does that take them out of their, um, you know, their comfort zone or, or does that, yeah, does that, you know, lessen the, the impact of the concert? I'm actually kind of surprised to hear that, that it wasn't as, as impactful as you thought it was going to be. Now, how long was the concert? Like how long did they go on for? Oh, I, it was probably a long concert. I, I don't remember. Uh, well, I don't remember it being two and a half hours, okay. but it was, it was, you know, it seemed like about what a concert you should be. Yeah, yeah. And you wonder, like, certain concerts that are sort of, concerts that are done on the road versus a concert that is sort of, I guess, a residency, which Billy Joel does sort of have a, a residency, I suppose, at Madison Square, where every every month he puts on a show at Madison Square. He does? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's almost like a Vegas thing. It is, yeah. Yeah, he does one show a month, and they're, they sold out, like, 
I think he's, uh, yeah, once a month, and I think he sold out until the February concert. That's an interesting concept that uh, you almost, I, you know, Vegas, you certainly hear that, you know, Celine Dion sets up shop for a period of time and, and people can go see her, but I've never really heard that for a, a musician like a Billy Joel doing that in a, a city where he he sets up and has like that's a really interesting that's something i've never heard of before yeah because when you think of vegas residencies correct me if i'm wrong but i think they're there for a shorter period of time maybe a couple of months maybe um and i, I think I, some of them have like acts that go on could, for years yeah i think like Celine dion was there for like over five years and i'm not sure how many concerts they do in a week it could be almost every day in which case yeah those would be I guess a little repetitive and, and from a, a from the artist standpoint, doing a show every single day, day in and day out, same venue, I would figure that would be a little bit draining as well. With what Billy Joel has, I think that's pretty much a really good setup in the sense that if he's only doing maybe, I don't know, maybe three or four concerts a month, one of which being at Madison Square, that kind of keeps him fresh. He's not being burnt out. Keep in mind that he is 73 years old, and he's still got it. No, he still looked great on stage. Um, well, that's good. So, um, I'm glad you enjoyed your trip mm-hmm. there, and uh, I saw you did a few sightseeing things like the Empire State Building and yeah. other stuff. I like New York a lot. I've been there quite a bit because I've worked for two companies that had their head offices there. And um, But since COVID, I mean, I haven't been to New York City in, yeah, five years. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe three years three and a bit yeah yeah it hasn't really changed much at all um i guess my observations i was there maybe what four years ago and i know a lot of cities has have changed a little bit because of everything that's been going on with with covid um i I recall you mentioning a few months ago when you went to san francisco that it seemed a little bit dirtier or maybe a few more homeless people than you recall seeing from the time prior yeah, San Fran was was terrible. Why are we talking about San Fran? When no, we're it's about just New because York? I was going to mention that, you know, my observations of New York is that, yeah, depending on what part of the city you're in, it was a little bit, maybe a little bit dirtier or, or more homeless people than I recall seeing from last time. Um, but yeah, I guess a lot of cities and probably cities like Toronto are, are, have experienced that as well. Um, but anyway, that's kind of a, a topic in itself. We can tackle that another time. But you've been yeah. you've been pretty busy yourself. You're um, we've talked in the past. Your uh, your your property that is now up and running. You've uh, your Airbnb. So yes. uh, yeah, fill us in. What's uh, what's new on that? Yep. So Air- the Airbnb that I had uh, been talking about on the last episode that I I've got a property just east of Toronto here. And it's now officially up on Airbnb as of Thursday, I believe it hit. hit it, it's also on a few other platforms, but it, it's specific. You know, it's a short-term rental. That's the terminology is for what it what I'm doing. It's a duplex. <clears throat> it's a duplex with two units in it. So there's actually two Airbnbs or two short-term rentals there. And yeah, after several weeks of getting it up and running and ready and you know, all the work that went into that, uh, you know, there was a contractor on site who had to do some infrastructure improvements like HVAC and 
put a put a wall up to create a second bedroom in one of the units fixed a bunch of weird quirky things in the property like light switches that would turn on closet lights instead of the room light um like just just quirky little things that uh it's it cost a lot more than i was planning to originally so short-term rentals guys for those of you who i know this isn't a real estate podcast but short-term rental properties are are a lot of work to set up Uh, sometimes you just a few times I've said, you know, maybe I should have just gone long-term rental. But uh, anyway, it's set up and it's uh, I'm really happy with how it turned out. Okay, so question for you on, you, you mentioned the differences, you know, short-term versus a long-term rental. So short-term rental, I guess, is it the expectation that it would be more of a presentable property, sort of more like a quote-unquote like a hotel type of atmosphere, whereas a long-term you know, you can maybe get away with a few more deficiencies or like maybe explain that aspect. Yeah. So with Airbnb or short-term rental, guest experience is extremely important. So if a guest has a situation, let's say you want to have things that are make guests happy and then you want to avoid things that you know, would bother a guest. So it's extremely important because you get reviews, right? After someone stays there. So, and people look at reviews, whereas a long-term rental, you don't have that kind of feedback necessarily, unless someone wanted to check up on you as a landlord and ask their, you know, what was that person like as a landlord, which I think is pretty rare. So yeah, it's all about guest experience. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure it's it's top notch. So Airbnb, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like you're you're creating like a hotel kind of environment then, like a, a bed and breakfast, but without the breakfast, that type of thing. Well, I wouldn't say a hotel is anything like a bed and breakfast without a breakfast. Like the Airbnbs can are I would say none of them are really anything like a hotel unless you have maybe a condo type unit that feels like you're going, you know, in a lobby and up an elevator, but you know, there's no maid that's knocking on the door in the morning. There's, there's, there is no lobby that you're passing through or any kind of, there is services that, you know, you would contact the host if there was a problem or something like that. But Airbnbs can be quite unique. You know, it's anything from a full house that you're renting out to a room in a house to I've seen like people with trailers as Airbnbs. And I've seen, if you go on Airbnb and search around, they'll have what they call unique experiences. So it can be things like um, caves, castles. Um, those are the two I saw anyway mm-hmm. that were sort of unique. So I think that's the point of Airbnb is it's it's more like people that don't want to stay in a traditional hotel, this is an option. Mm-hmm. So have you had people stay yet? Not yet. Okay. Uh, we we have had a couple of inquiries that have come in for people looking to do medium-term rentals, which, see, during this time of year, especially in this part of the world where it's cold in the wintertime, um, Airbnb is at its least popular starting from September through to April. So I didn't really have any control over the timing of this because, you know, I bought the place in July and I just couldn't really control when I, like I wanted to do short-term rental. So I got it up and running as soon as possible, but we are looking at a short, a medium-term rental potentially as an option, which, which is anything more than 30 days. I see. Yeah. And I guess sometimes those medium-term rentals can be good as well. Cause that gives you a little bit of stability and some, 
I guess, a, a, steady, a steady stream of income, especially, as you said, coming into the winter season when it's not going to be as much high demand for a place like Trenton. Um, right. And Yeah. Well, we don't know. Like, yeah, it's not a summer. It's not a, it's not a, a winter beach yeah, area. Yeah, it's not a winter or, destination. It's more a summer place where you would go. But the good news is that unlike other parts of the province, like if it was a cottage property on a lake, that might not attract people in the in the winter time. Whereas my property isn't like that. My, I'm not really a vacation property. I'm a I'm a multi-purpose property. I'm a temporary workspace. I'm a temporary living arrangements while you're transitioning into something like maybe people that are moving out while they're getting a reno done and need a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, people that are working in the area for a few weeks, maybe their employers brought them into the area. The military base is close. So there's potential for personnel that are coming from other provinces that there isn't room on the air force base that they might stay. We've already had some dialogue with them about it. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's what we're probably looking to do is to get it into, um, into a midterm or medium term rental scenario, like one month to three month type thing until Airbnb season starts picking up in, in uh, April. And I gather through all of this, if nothing else, this is a huge, huge learning opportunity for you. Um, You've been, well, I know that you've been looking at the real estate aspect for well over a year now. And our trip to that we did back in Windsor, well, sorry, our Windsor trip that we did back last March, um, that was for that purpose was for scouting out potential properties. So it's been, been a long time coming and, uh, yeah, you've, you've been through, been through a lot and, and, uh, dealt with a lot of different contractors and third parties. So, uh, yeah, you could probably write a book on your experiences there. Well, yeah, it's, it is, it does put mileage on in terms of experience and, there are some things I would perhaps do differently this, the next time around. Like I, I would probably give a lot of second thought to doing Airbnb again. It, not necessarily that I wouldn't have done it, but I would have a lot more knowledge of what's involved. And, um, you know, some of it's, you got to just try it out, right? Like the numbers when I f- was figuring on doing this suggested that it would, it would do well. And then you can only really know that. And after you've, you know, it's like opening any kind of a business. You can do all your research and then ultimately it's going to be what are the customers, do the customers come and, and what do they think when they when they experience your business? So, um, yeah, it's it's been a great learning experience and just more mileage on the, on the real estate journey. Yeah, and the thing too is not to panic and just realize that it's a learning experience and it will continue to be over the next couple of months especially. Uh, when you're dealing with, do you this, think uh, I should panic? No, no. But hey, a lot of people would be like, "Oh, geez, I don't have anybody in my house yet. And what the hell have I? What have I done?" Um, oh, it's been three days. Yeah. Well, there you go. But hey, some people would be freaking out that they don't have something lined up. So, but you're Not you're, me. you're you're Mister Calm and Collected, so I have no worries about you. Steady at the tiller. Yes, for sure. Normally I talk about, when we've talked about my neighbor in the past, we talk about, you know, we had the ice rink story a couple of years ago. Now I have a little story to tell you about 
the neighbor on the other side of the property. You know, I, I feel almost disappointed that my neighbors are nowhere near as interesting as yours. <laughs> I don't have any neighbor stories to tell. All my neighbors are normal. What's what's going on well, in your neighborhood? I'm. You know what? The ones that you think are normal probably aren't. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I would say my neighbors are generally uh, fairly normal people, but <laughs> Ish, occasionally yeah. there's uh, you know a little quirk that that appears. And it was yesterday that I was uh, I had noticed when I drove back in, when I was coming back from helping my son get some hockey equipment. We we pulled into the driveway and I noticed that my neighbor next door had. Um, propped his car was up on was propped up off the ground and i'd like to say it was up on jacks or it was up on ramps or something like that but what this guy had done was he had actually propped his car up with two two sets of or two snow tires had been set up uh holding the back of his car up i'm actually going to send you a picture so that you can see it yeah, i just sent you the photo <clears throat> Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's a bit strange as to how to jack up your car. So you got two. So you're, we're looking at a vehicle here that's got two tires. I think they're his winter tires that have been stacked on top of one another, of which he's propped up the back of the car on. And then the front looks like, oh, it does have some kind of ramp or something. I can't really tell. Yeah, it looks like there's a jack on the, the, the front driver's side from the looks of it. Yeah, which which is a bit odd. Yeah. And, you know, I, I saw that he was kind of not quite underneath it, but he was looking underneath it when I showed up. And he, he decided to explain to me what he was doing. And he said, you know, I was driving the other day and I heard this rattling sound and I wanted to get a better idea of why the car was making this rattling sound. And he said, what, I, what my idea here is I want to prop the car up and then be able to accelerate the vehicle oh god, like, oh god. <laughs> and to see if it makes the the rattling sound when i accelerate and and or if i'm not on the ground and i mean in my mind i'm thinking this is absolutely crazy i'm totally picturing the ferris bueller's day off yeah like, yeah so i was Ferrari just, I was just gonna say that window. yeah <laughs> and i i just had this feeling of like you know what i don't want to be involved in <laughs> yeah and he also happened to ask me, do you know a mechanic who uh, is maybe a friend of yours that won't rip people off? Mm. And, you know, that's another thing we could maybe talk about someday is this assumption that every mechanic out there is evil trying to rip people off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I said, no, I just take it up to the garage uh, up, up the way. And then I kind of left him to his devices. I just didn't really want to be involved in this. And then I came back about 20 minutes later, my wife and I were working in the yard and he said, hey, do you mind... Um, looks like my battery is dead and I don't, I, before I bring it down off these, off the, off the jacks, I want to, I want to try to boost the battery. Would you mind pulling your car up beside me? And now this meant actually driving onto his lawn to, to be able to access, cause he's only got a single car or drive a lane or driveway. So I was very hesitant and he said, you know, and if you're nervous about it, uh, you don't have to. And I'm, I'm like, I don't mind trying to boost the car. I, but in the background of all this, I think you're insane for what you're trying <laughs> yeah. to do here. Uh, but fine. So I, I drove up. Sure enough, we boosted the car and it, and it, the battery, I don't know how he drained his battery, but I, we had both thought, well, maybe it was a safety feature that if your car is off the ground, <laughs> that it stops working. Yeah. 
which maybe isn't a bad idea, right? You know, if a car ever got like tipped over and was in a ditch, it wants to be able to disable the vehicle from running. I don't know. But anyway, we got his car running and uh, I parked my car back on my driveway. And I, I said to him, I got a question for you. Let's say it doesn't rattle. And by the, oh, then he decided he got in the front seat and he starts accelerating. The wheels are spinning. Mm, and yeah, at up that on point, you're, you're envisioning some horrible, grisly accident is just oh, about to unfold God, yeah. in front of your eyes. <laughs> exactly. I said, well, I got to ask you this question. Like, okay, you want this information that if it, do- let's say it doesn't rattle and make this noise when you're, when you're up on the jacks, what are you going to do with that information? Well, yeah, exactly. Okay, so if it rattles, then what? You still got to take it to your mechanic, who you feel is a crook. So what are you hoping to accomplish here? And so I asked him, and he said, well, then I'll try to fix it. Mm. Um, And then he he says, my my father-in-law fixes stuff all the time, so why can't I? (laughs) <laughs> and then he proceeds to pull out the like the old Chilton's manual with like yeah. it's like Honda Honda from nineteen from two thousand and fifteen to two thousand twenty or whatever you know like he's going to go look up what how to fix and I, l- l- and l- this l- is clearly not a guy who knows anything yeah. about he, how to fix vehicles. Planning on looking up the YouTube videos, what to do if there's a knocking noise in your in your car. <laughs> I all, you know, everything turned out okay, but I could tell his wife was out there, had this absolute look of concern on her face about the whole thing. And I just, I said to my wife, this is, I just, I'm so worried this is going to end badly. And I just don't want to be around to see it. Like, (laughs) you know, I could hear him revving the engine from the backyard and from my backyard. And, and, and I just imagined hearing that and then smash. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, (laughs) my comment to him was, you know, sometimes things like this are better left in the hands of professionals. Like, you know, you've got, anyways, it it, it was very odd. And, and I, I just ha- had to share that yeah. story from the other side. Okay. Of, of All the right. House. So, yeah, there wasn't so much weird behavior, not like what we talked about a couple months ago with, yeah, your, your neighbor and the, the ice, the, uh, the hockey rink in the backyard. But, yeah, it's an example where people try to be cheap. I think it, what it comes down to, if you have no expertise or no knowledge in, in a particular area, don't don't try to pretend that you can fix something. As you said, take it to a professional because you got to pay pay for the experience and the knowledge. It, you can't put a price on that. So, you know, you got to find a mechanic that that you feel comfortable with and not all of them are crooks. And, no, they're uh, not. Yeah, just realize that it's going to cost some money, but at least it gets done. Simple as that. Don't kill yourself in your driveway. It's not worth it. And it can traumatize your neighbors, too. Tomorrow, being October 24th, is the uh, municipal elections here in the province of Ontario. So municipal elections, for those who may be out of country, just so you gain a context as to what that involves, it's basically your, your local level of government. So that would be you know, mayor, uh, you know, regional and local councillors, school board trustees, that type of thing. Um, I, I voted myself. I took advantage of the advanced polls. Um, but yeah, I just want to bring this up because um, when it comes to voter turnouts with elections, here in Canada, typically for federal and provincial elections, uh, voter turnout usually is above 50%. Between fifty and sixty percent, 
Um, obviously, a lot can depend on the individual election itself, if there's a big issue that sort of motivates people to, to get out to the polls. But with municipal elections, um, voter turnout is extremely low. And I, well, I, the, the municipality where I live in, in, in Whitby, the last election, which was four years ago, I believe the voter turnout I read was about like 28%, which is, which is terrible. You know, I, I can't believe that there's that few people that are engaged in municipal politics because it's something that affects you the most in terms of, you know, your, your taxation, you know, roads and infrastructure, uh, investment within projects within your local communities, such as like police stations, um, you know, uh, community halls, that type of thing, um, mm -hmm. social services, yeah. um, sports facilities. And I, I just, I scratch my head every four years wondering, why aren't people more engaged in municipal elections? And it's one of those things where, okay, it doesn't get the, the media coverage that it should be. Um, but yeah, it involves doing a little bit of research and, and just taking 10 minutes of your time and just having an idea as to what some of these candidates stand for. So yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that, yeah, you're right. Most people do take municipal elections less seriously. I think a big part of that is that with federal and provincial elections, that's in the news a lot more. So you're, you're forced to see it and hear it. And, and with municipal, that it's never going to be on the front because, because municipal is split out by, you know, there's hundreds of different municipal people out there. Uh, whereas with federal and provincial, it's kind of one leader that you're seeing a lot and, and understand trying to hear what the issues are. So I think that's the biggest reason why you don't see the turnout because it's because every area is different and you just don't see the, the light being shone on it the same way as you do. So I agree there's your, the issues in a municipal election are going to be far more, um, relevant to you and and that's but that's it that's just the thing so am i voting i know the local councillor here who does a pretty good job paul ainsley of of uh being out there and in, in the public but beyond that i don't know anybody else that's running so i'm i'm i guess guilty as charged in a lot of ways i i don't know anything about anybody other than him mm -hmm. well do some research there, my friend. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess the uh, public service announcement here to all of our listeners in Ontario, get out and vote, please. I hope you vote. I hope you vote. Because, yeah, by the time you listen to this episode, I'm sure the election day will have come and gone. But I, I hope people do get out and vote and do it for, for next time. And, uh, yeah, just keep in mind that uh, it's important. All right. Uh, you were in New York City, as you mentioned at the top of the show, and you uh, you found your driving with with the Uber drivers. So was it, it was an interesting experience? Was it overall, or was it just one particular driver? Um, more so, I guess one particular driver. But all in all, like just traffic in New York City. Oh my God! I would never ever drive in New York City. I would never want to take my car into New York City because I'd probably get beaten to crap. Um, so this particular incident, this was the, the Uber driver that was taking us from LaGuardia airport into midtown Manhattan where our, uh, our hotel was situated. Um, but yeah, my, my goodness, the, the, the drive into the city, this guy was almost borderline reckless. Um, you know, like, like weaving, weaving, in, and out weaving of in and out, cutting people off, flipping the finger to people on multiple occasions. You know, one of those things like shaking of the fist. 
like angry driving, that type of thing. Like, yeah, it was just weird. And it, it's something that, well, I guess if I, I don't drive a lot in downtown Toronto, I, I try to avoid that. I seldom have to drive in, in like the heart of downtown Toronto. I, I Any driving I do for work is sort of on the outskirts of the city. Mm-hmm. But even then, even from our experiences driving in Toronto, it's nothing like New York City. Um, like th- there's so many, obviously, way more one-way streets. There's a lot of blocked, uh, blocked roadways, one lane, uh, a lot of closures. Like it's, it's a difficult city to drive in, even at the best of times. All right. So with this Uber guy, like you know, you have the ability to rate him right after the drive is over. Did you do that? Yeah, like he, he was, he did fine. Like he, hey, he got us to where we needed to be, and he was a polite guy. Like it's nothing. I, I can't really say anything bad towards him. I was just a, a general. Well, he uh, was driving uh, erratically and giving the finger to people, and but and, it was uh, just yeah, it was just more of a general observation of of his his driving habits or or. You know what? Did you feel unsafe at any point with this man? Um, yes and no. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. maybe and, you, maybe and you're saying you couldn't rate his driving? His driving as in like you you can't be critical of it. I, I forget what I rated him as. I'll be honest. I I'm not sure, but I was just in 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 amazement as to, you know the the first of all the aggressiveness of this driver and also almost the pure skill as well, like. So you had a bit of respect. Yeah, for it almost like almost had respect for this guy. Like, man, this guy's a a hardened driver. Like, nothing phases this dude whatsoever. Driving in New York City, like tough as nails. Like, he, there, okay. there's like the whole thing. When I was sitting in the back of the car, I'm thinking, you know, the, the Canadian way of of being maybe a little bit overly polite, whereas like, oh no, 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 you go first. No, 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 you go. No, no, right. please after you. You know that type of thing. That wouldn't fly in New York City. They'd beat you to crap if you did anything like that. It's every man for himself. And my only experience with an Uber driver was that I got picked up by somebody that wasn't my driver. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It was, I was waiting for a, an Uber driver to come, and then he, he pulled up and said, Uber? And I said, yes, and I hopped in, and we realized after that it wasn't actually my driver. He was just a regular uh, cab. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> What did he try to and take to some weird place or something? This was a few years ago, and uh, that's I think why they've really heightened the whole like they have to ask you like are you you know Clark and then you can see that like they're supposed to do a little more checking yeah uh, or you can do more and there's more verification on both sides mm-hmm. so this this was uh, yeah that was my only that was a quite a few years ago though yeah well when you order one now you, you can see the the vehicle and the license plate number. So, yeah, whenever the car pulls up, I always verify with the license plate number. Yeah, yeah. yeah whereas maybe they didn't do that before. Well, and in the old days, you used to see, at least in Toronto, and I think New York at the time, you saw a lot of regular cabs as Uber drivers. Oh, okay. That were, that were, so you would, I think anyway, that it seems to me in the early days of Uber, it was like cab drivers that were just also going on the Uber system. And I think they might have clamped down on that as well. Hmm. Well, the message here is that, uh, yeah, d- don't drive in New York. You got to be a professional to do that. Well, I'm glad you put your life in the hands of someone else and didn't rent a car and do it yourself. Yeah, exactly. 
All right, MLB playoffs are on, and the pricing to so you you were a little bit concerned about pricing that they're charging for what tickets? Were you considering going to a game? I guess maybe I was, when you were yeah. in New York or well, you know, yeah, actual Toronto and also New York. Um, yeah, the the Blue Jays had unfortunately a very short lived playoff experience. That's a topic in itself. They did, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was looking into you know if the Jays had advanced to the divisional series how much would, would tickets be um when i was in new york i also took a look to see what tickets for yankees would be for the divisional series yeah it's it's a head scratcher looking at the at the exorbitant amount that they charge and and i'm just thinking man it's it's, it's price gouging so keeping in mind that the pricing for major league playoffs is actually set by major league baseball itself so although maybe the team might have some input, technically the the final amount that they charge is mandated or, or set by Major League Baseball. So Per team, I'm imagining. Yeah, so yeah. like New York would have a different price than, say, Toronto for the same series. Possibly, yeah. But either way, it's, so. it's still going to be expensive no matter which team that you're going to see. You're, you're, yep. like for a cheap seat, it's going to be well in excess of $100. And, you know, I'm just thinking, man, that's got to be price gouging. So, for example, for the Blue Jays, um, a ticket that would, you know, normally go for, um, I'm just seeing it here, my my neighbor who's a season ticket holder, he had sent me some prices here to, to put something into context. So, okay, 500 level seats for the Blue Jays that regular season would go for $22.50 each. Um, those tickets... In the the wild card game, were eighty increased to eighty five dollars. Um, if they had gone to the ALCS, they would have been one hundred and seven dollars. Hmm. So, and that's just face value. Never mind what you would pay if you went through the secondary market, like a you know uh, sure. Which those. which is kind of not really yeah can't really. You, you can't really base it on that because that's you, you can't control the the aftermarket on tickets. But either way, the point being is that okay, twenty two dollars and fifty cents regular season, American League Championship Series one hundred and seven dollars. Like since when is it like a a four hundred five hundred percent increase in pricing? Like where else do you yeah. see that? Where it's like, yeah, I would expect to pay more for playoffs. You know, maybe twenty two dollars seats. I could understand fifty dollars, but, but but it's a business, right? It's a business, so yeah. Why shouldn't a business be able to charge what the going rate would be for something? Like if you ran yeah. the business and someone said to you, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, you can't charge this much," I wouldn't that upset you? No, but it, it, it's this here is an example of of greed. Like why? Why is it 107? How can you get away because with? That's what people will pay. Yeah, I know people will pay that. I suppose, and and yeah, the people have paid that. I think it was a sellout crowd for, you know, for all of the the Jays playoff games. And I'm sure if they advanced, it it would have continued to have been sellouts. But and yeah. doesn't this guarantee potentially the success of the team down the road? The more money they collect, the more money they have, and that perhaps they can put a better product on the field by mm-hmm. by you know, getting to the playoffs, making more money and hopefully yeah. putting that money back into maybe spending on the team or the, or the facility. Yeah. Look, they're spending $300 million this year to upgrade the Rogers center next year. So if this money is, is mm-hmm. being taken advantage of for the purposes of improving the team, improving the park, 
it's a free, it's a capital capitalist economy. Like what, what is, what are you expecting? I'm expecting it to not be so exorbitantly priced. So yeah, I, I expect to pay more in the playoffs. I'm not arguing that. But when it's a 500% increase, that, that, that I think that's a bit carried away. I, I just think that that's truly taking advantage of people. Um, you know, you, you we, we talked before about, you know, sports venues, the affordability aspect. Can you afford to take a family of four to a sports event? Yeah, you can You can afford to take a family of four to a regular season major league game. If you're Some paying, people can. Yeah, if, well, generally, if you're paying $22 a seat, most people can. You know, for Toronto Maple Leaf game, which we've talked about in the past, cheap seats are like $125. Yeah, the average family of four probably wouldn't spend that kind of money. And, Nor would they have access to, to be able yeah. to buy the tickets. That's the other thing. Yeah, but now, you know, now you're looking at Major League Baseball playoffs where over $100 a ticket, um, yeah, you took away the affordability aspect. So, I don't know. Well, wait till you see World Series pricing. Okay, this is something I heard about the other day on the radio. There was a a segment about this. Uh, it was about lunch lunch box shaming, and the the gist of the story was that kids who bring certain types of lunches to school, and this particular story was mostly about foreign kids, like immigrant kids who came from other countries and would bring their lunch to school. It would be something ethnic that maybe other kids weren't used to seeing. And it might smell a certain way, look a certain way, that the kids were getting ostracized by their fellow classmates because of what they were bringing to school. And I and they made a really big story on this. And it actually, there's a Wikipedia entry called Lunch Shaming, I believe. So it's clearly something that's going on out there. And I wanted to ask, were there times when you were in school, even as a uh, you know, white kid bringing a lunch or other white kids bringing lunches or ethnic kids bringing lunches that you notice this sort of thing going on? Uh, maybe. I, I don't think anywhere to the extent is what you're talking about, you know, in, in, in current situation. I, I think maybe, maybe not so much shaming, but perhaps there was, you know, judgment. So for example, um, you know, kids, if they had brought like a, you know, a, a peanut butter sandwich every single day or something like that, or, or sort of a meager lunch. So you said butter sandwich, butter or peanut butter, like a plain boring lunch. Yeah. You know, some kids would sort of snicker. Lots of kids brought peanut butter. No, sandwiches. but like it, let's say if it was like a, a small lunch or something, and if it was on a repeated basis, some kids would be like, you know, the, the whole teasing aspect, like, Oh, so-and-so is poor or something like that. That's terrible. Uh, yeah, there was just yeah the 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 immatureness of of you know elementary school kids that would do stuff like that. Do you think it's still as bad uh, now that kind of stuff? Probably. Yeah, I I you know I'd I, like to hope I have no. no idea. I I don't know. I should ask. I, I should ask I, my son if if anything like that goes on. Um, but yeah, like back in well, from what I recall from from my school days. Yeah, I don't know if there was any shaming from any kind of like ethnic foods or any kind of weird lunches that people brought. I, I don't I don't remember that. I do. Oh you do, okay. Yeah, so my mother I loved like so my mother's Eastern European and she would sometimes pack a lunch with like liverwurst in it. Hmm. Right. You know, the spread. And I loved that when I was a kid. And 
I remember bringing it to school once and someone's like, oh, that's disgusting. That's liverwurst or liver and it smells. And I was like, totally like, I felt shamed. And I, I, and I loved it. I wanted to eat it, but I told my mom, I didn't, I didn't want it anymore because I didn't like it. And she, uh, so she stopped making it, but sometimes it'll occasionally would show up and I would hide the sandwich and I wouldn't eat it. Hmm. That's kind of sad. It is. Yeah. Do do you still eat liverwurst to this day? No, but I would if it was there. It's just that things like that aren't really a sandwich that I would go out of my way to. I mean, actually, no, that's not true. I have had liverwurst. Like sometimes you'll see it on a, on a cheese plate or something like at a party or whatever. Hmm. I've, very rarely, but uh, occasionally I'll put it on a cracker or something. Yeah. But I, I like it. I think it's good. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, hopefully there's no shaming over liverwurst or any other. Uh, um, yeah. Know, I, I bring foods. it up because I, because <laughs> it really resonated for me. And I can mm-hmm. only imagine that certain, like, I remember that kind of stuff as a kid, that kind of, that kind of stuff. And that, those are the things that really can <clears> affect <throat> kids. They can go home and be, be like, concerned mm-hmm. and worried and thinking about that. And then how do they tell their parents who in this case for a, say an ethnic family who that's what the parents know how to make that. And they loved it as a kid. And suddenly they're being pushed into this environment where that thing is being, you know, fr- uh, something that's the subject of ridicule. It's, it's awful. Yeah. Kids can be real jerks, right? <laughs> they can, <Yeah. laughs> they can. And, and uh, I am going to ask my son about that yeah. because uh, that, that really, hit home for me when I heard that. Yeah. I'm going to ask my son as well. If what what goes on. Yeah. It's, I'd be interested to know if that's still going on. The Colorado state fair had a competition for artwork and there was a, the winner was an AI generated artwork. And my question for you is in the day now that AI is becoming a big deal, uh, is, is AI generated artwork, like bad and and i guess the one question is should it win competitions if it's ai generated but then the second part of that is is it is it bad that there's such a thing as ai generated artwork so my thoughts on that okay it's interesting that we are at the point where there is ai generated artwork because i wasn't really aware that that has become a thing now uh but yeah it's natural to to realize that that is where we are at based on the advancements of AI technology. So yeah, in terms of AI work, getting accolades and and winning awards, that should be in a separate category to itself. You you can't compare it to, to a regular human artist, I suppose. Um, So no, it should not be getting awards when compared to other pieces of artwork because it's completely different. You, you, You can't compare you know, an artist who has studied their entire life um, and and practiced their their craft and their skill and to be compared against, you know, artificial intelligence and then lose out on an an award. uh, No, I don't think that's right. Some people, uh, there was some Twitter on this saying saying that things like someone uh, doing this is like letting a robot participate in the Olympics. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's it's not that far off from from that kind of a statement. Another comment: Imagine spending hours on upon hours on a piece of work to proudly present it for a competition and being beaten by somebody who pressed generate on a screen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Well, as an artist, yeah, I'd be pissed off if I lost out an award to AI-generated artwork. The other thing going on out there, and we, we don't have time for it now, is there's a lot of AI-generated news articles and blogs. A lot of this stuff is created by AI that uh, just cobbles a whole bunch of information. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've ever read any articles where you can tell something's not quite right about this article. It's cobbled together in a strange, almost like computerized way mm -hmm. that it doesn't, it's not, you can tell it's just not read by somebody or written by somebody real. Yeah. I've sensed that as well. And Hey, that could explain the, uh, our, our who effing cares as well. The, uh, the articles uh, that we yeah. talk about on that. <laughs> Very good point. Very yeah. good point. If it's a slow news story, get the AI generated, uh, uh, news anchor to, to come up with the stories on that. All right, so we both kind of stretch for time today, so we got to push on. Uh, we're moving into what we're watching. So you have something you mentioned a uh, documentary that you're you're watching. Yeah, um, I have finished watching it, and it was a really interesting. Um, a a three-part documentary on Netflix called Trainwreck Woodstock '99. Oh yes, I don't know if you've watched this before. I watched about half of the episode. Okay. So yeah, there, there's three one-hour episodes. Um, Is it that long? Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I got enough information in the first forty <laughs> minutes to to say, yeah, okay, yeah. that was terrible. No, but this they, was in 1999. You said, yeah, 1999 Woodstock Festival, which was yeah, done as a recreation of the uh, Woodstock back in 1969, the, the 30th anniversary. Um, yeah, as I said, it was just under three hours, I suppose, but it was it it kept my interest all the way through. So the premise of this was that, um, yeah, Woodstock '99 was sort of a recreation, and man, this thing was littered with so many problems, so much mismanagement. Um, you know, we could probably do an entire episode just discussing this this documentary. Could review it. Yeah, we could. We could we do. Haven't done one of those. No, I was just going to say we haven't done, you know, a documentary review in in. Jeez, it's probably over a year now. So yeah, this would be a good candidate to do it. So I'm not going to go too much into detail as to the, the content of it. But yeah, I just want to mention that, yeah, this was really interesting. It was sort of a, a what not to do kind of scenario in terms of, um, you know, the, the organization and, and the, the composition of how this this music festival was was created. What would you say in like a sentence or two, was the what not to do with this whole event? Uh, I don't know if it can be summed up that way. Um, you know, like, it, was it, it security? Was, yeah, was it, was, it was sort of logistics? everything. Yeah, it was it was mismanagement. It was it was a it was poorly planned, bad venue. Um, you know, there was a lot of 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 you know factors that went into it. We talked before about price gouging. That was one of the things where you were not allowed to bring water into the concert venue. So people had to yeah, purchase I saw water, that. you know, from the concessions. And they were, like, gouging people. I think at one point they were charging, like, $10 for a bottle of water or something like that. Um, yeah. You know, the, yeah, the, that caused a lot of problems. The venue was, like, a... Um, like I guess, like a, a an abandoned Air Force base. So pretty much, it was on like a, a runway landing strip. It was in yeah, the middle of tarmac. It was, yeah, it was on, yeah, it was on a tarmac, and it was like, um, you know, ridiculously hot weather. Um, it was just one of those things where it's sort of like the perfect storm, where people just, 
you know, they're, they're tired of, of being, you know, price gouged. It was just, um, you know, so many other factors. And as I said, it's, we could, I could go into far more detail, but we probably don't have the time to, to do that. But no, and we want to leave some, uh, yeah, we, we can, we can watch it if they want exactly, to, want it people w- to watch it, but yeah, it's just really interesting. Something that was that large of a scale as to how poorly it was run, you know, and it, it Netflix? was, yeah, Netflix. Or Prime or yeah. Netflix. Yeah. Like the, the organizers just kind of had their head in the sand and, and just, you know, took no responsibility for, you know, the end outcome pretty much on the last day. It ended up the, the, the concert, there was a, a riot in like, yeah, it looks like crashing. Uh, like it was just, it was, it was a terrible, <laughs> terrible experience. The picture on the cover looks like a, like a, like a apocalypse. Like, yeah. It was uh, pretty much a war zone when they cleaned up the concert on, on, uh, on the Monday brutal. morning. But either way, it, it was, um, it was a great watch, like w- watch it for sure, because it was, uh, it was quite fascinating and, and it was, um, you know, really well presented as well. Um, a lot of differing opinions and in, 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 in interviews, um, so yeah, highly recommend it. Well, for me, what I'm watching is uh, I kind of stumbled into it because I had heard some people mention that they were watching it was the Dahmer uh, Netflix uh, Dahmer Monster, I think it's called. Yeah, I mentioned that last time the the Dahmer uh, miniseries. Yeah, so I started. I think it's nine episodes or yeah, ten episodes. 10, yeah. ten, yeah, and I started watching it, and and uh, I'll keep this brief. I mean, it was. I thought. I mean, I, we lived through it to and the extent that it was news when I was, I think, 17 or 18. I do remember the story coming up and the horrible details of it. Um, it is, I think, pretty well done. It's um, creepy. They they took a, like, I, I do find with true stories, I'll go and check what the real story is versus what they've portrayed. And there are some things that they have um, adjusted, like the neighbor, for instance, who lives next door and can smell the the dead body smell or whatever. She didn't actually live next door. She lived in a different building. So I was like, they took some liberties with, with that. Um, apparently the families are really upset about the fact that they made this documentary. or that's not even a documentary. It's a, it's a series. Um, so a lot of families were upset, but I did find it interesting just to find out, you know, a little bit more about the story and I've been reading up a lot on it. So yeah, Dahmer monster. If you're if you got the stomach for it, uh, it's it's pretty well done. Yeah, like I mentioned before, we've we watched a few episodes, and and we're still only a few episodes in. It's it's heavy subject matter. Like you really gotta, yeah, you know, amp yourself up for sitting down to watch that. It's not a it's not a light topic. So uh, yeah, we'll get through it eventually, but it, it could take a while. <laughs> so I, I, before we go, I did want to share one quick positive thing that came out of our previous episode. And that was that one of our listeners heard your segment about the colonoscopy. Okay. And uh, after hearing uh, some of what you, your experiences were with it and that it was relatively positive and, and harmless, uh, he had been very nervous about scheduling this appointment. And because of what you said on the episode, he, he is now ready to go for his colonoscopy. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And, and that's why I wanted to talk about it is because, yeah, I, I, as you recall from the previous episode, I had built it up in my head as something that, oh man, I'm so nervous to, to get this done and something that, rightly so. yeah, and rightly so. I was certainly not looking forward to this, but it, it was not, 
as mentioned before, was nowhere near as, as bad the experience as I, as I thought it was going to be. So yeah, if, if somebody out there, if, if, uh, Hey, if, 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 even if, as I said, one person books their colonoscopy appointment, then, uh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm, I'm glad I was able to, to help out that way. Yeah. And, and th- one of the comments he made was that he didn't realize that you got put under, like that you could be, uh, put under and that, uh, he says they should tell people somehow communicate that, that, I know that was his specific case, but I think a lot of people are nervous about it because they think they're awake during the experience. Now, I was in Japan awake during mine, which I think had some positives to it, but it was also a little odd and awkward at the same time. Hmm. But he said that had he known all the long that you would be put under for it, he would have booked his appointment a long time ago. Now, could you have asked to be put under? Like, what were you, were uh, you given the option or was something no, get lost they didn't in give translation? Me the option. Hmm. They right, didn't give me right. the option. Hmm. So yes, good news story. It's exactly right. The reason why we like to talk about some of these more difficult topics like health topics is so that people, it demystifies some of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Like as I said, this is a podcast that it's, it's two guys talking and if we can tackle some interesting or, or, uh, you know, difficult subject matters and, and break down some, uh, some myths and, and misconceptions. And, uh, we're, we're glad to do that. So a couple final thoughts before we wrap, my wife and I were listening to, and the last episode we did, which was long, a long yeah, episode. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, you and I talked about this earlier that, um, when we, set out to make a, uh, an episode it's difficult to split them up after if they they get too long because you know the bridging together of the of it is a little difficult uh, if you've got say 90 minutes of material and you want to split it in half well there's no there has to be an intro and a close to each episode and if and yeah. otherwise it becomes it would, a bit it would break up the flow yeah yeah for sure yeah so i did want to share a couple comments she made she she said you know you guys do venture into the realm of grumpy old men quite a bit. <laughs> and you might, you didn't really say don't do it, but she just says you guys kind of come off as grumpy old men. So for whatever that's worth, uh, I, I partly said, yeah, well, then, well, maybe that's why people tune in is to listen to a couple of <laughs> grumpy old, oldish men. Yeah. We're just about 50, right? Me, I'm 50. You're getting there. Wait, wait till we get um, older. It'll be even, even grumpier. Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine as, as like, I mean, some people have said I'm a bit of a grumpy old man since I was like 30. So what, uh, what happens when we're like actually, you know, 75 or 80. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, she did say that, uh, that was just a comment and that sometimes we go on a little bit too long on our topics. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, which I, you, which you noted. Yeah, too, I, I, I appreciate that. And that's why doing like five minute topics, I think is a, is a, is a great idea. And did you listen to the last episode? Um, I've listened to parts of it. I haven't listened all the way through because yeah, it was, Too long. It was an hour and a half. So it's, uh, it, it takes a while to, to, to find the, the right opportunity to, to listen to an hour and a half episode. But yes, I, but I, for I, those who want long rambling <laughs> listens, then just tune into the last yeah, episode. Yeah. No, but Hey, we tackled a lot of different subjects. So if we had, had talked about one thing for a full hour and a half, then I could, I could picture people tuning out, but we covered a lot of stuff, so I, I hope people were entertained. And and even today's episode, I, I hope people are entertained with this. Hopefully, we didn't come across as being too grumpy. If we are being too grumpy, please let us know. 
Like we, we appreciate the feedback and, and we, we like to hear, you know, we think we're amazing in our own minds, but uh, it's all up to our listeners to let us know <laughs> how we're doing and feedback and, and areas of improvement. So, uh, hey, we, we appreciate the comments. Well, as a reminder, people can email us at we talked about this 99 at gmail.com. We do like to receive feedback. And um, if you have some topic ideas you want us to share, please send those in and we'll be happy to, 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 to raise them. And as well, if you're someone out there who really wants to be on the show, you, uh, you, we have had a few of our listeners come on the show, so that's also an option for people if they're if they're interested. Uh, the The audition is fairly painless, right? Yeah, yeah, not as painless as uh, as a colonoscopy, but it, it's it's not that bad. 